Thank you, Brother Bertie. I could see he was having a problem in the singing. It reminded me of a convention some years ago in Port Rush, where we live, and the leader, I'll not name the names, but they would be well known to those who've been around in evangelical circles for a while, but it was the annual convention, and the leader said, as he was introducing the preacher, he said, he's a good preacher, but he's a far better singer. So the man got up and he said, after listening to what our brother has just said, I think I'll sing my sermons from now on. (laughs) So maybe I should start singing the sermon. But that's a great song uh, that we were singing earlier on. There's more with us than be with them. Taken from an Old Testament uh, picture and an Old Testament event. We first heard all the verses that go with it from a great old man of God and his wife, Uh, Paul Finch, Paul and Georgia Finch from America, and we've been singing that song for quite a few years, and it's always a great song to remind ourselves of when we feel pressed by the enemy, that there's more with us than be with them. There are more angels on the side of the Lord and holiness than there are with the devil and demonic power. Praise God. They are not only greater in number, but they are greater in power. And praise God tonight for this. I remember years ago, dealing with someone and some others with me, of course, we were dealing with someone who was demon-possessed. And whenever the demon was challenged about uh, uh, what had happened at Calvary, uh, it was said, I command you in the name of Jesus to say who was the victor. And that dark spirit said, the white lamb of Calvary. And praise God tonight, Jesus is the white lamb of Calvary, and he has won the victory. He is the triumphant Savior. Angels and men before him bow, but every knee shall bow, and demons shall bow, and every tongue shall confess of things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth, And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We make that confession now in the house of God, in the presence of Jesus, and announce it to three worlds, heaven, earth, and hell. Jesus is Lord. And praise God tonight for this. We thank you so much. It's lovely to be with you again tonight. Yvonne and I are delighted to see you. And some of you that we haven't seen for quite a while. And so many last night as you were going out. I recognized the faces, but I couldn't put a name to it. And it was just such a joy to uh, see you again. And those that we have met even since we came, who came through to the Lord way back long years ago, not just here in 1993 or whatever, but way back beyond that. Because if I'm spared to March next year, I will be 60 years saved next March on the 3rd of March. I wasn't an old man with my uh, foot on a bar of soap and the other in the grave. I was young, strong, and free. And I wanted to be the best that I could be for righteousness and truth in thee. And I said, O Lamb of God, I come. And at sixteen and a half years of age, God wonderfully saved me 
in the town of Oma. That's where I'm from. So I'm in Tyrone, my home county, and amongst the Tyrone people. I know there's people from so many different parts tonight. That's, of course, uh, I've come to realize that since we've come. But it's good to bring Yvonne to Tyrone. She didn't have that privilege. She grew up in the sophisticated East and Carrick Fergus, but I grew up in the Wild West between Oma and Newton Stewart. So there's some others seem to have grown up in that cowboy country as well. I can see you nodding your head. It's lovely to be here. We are looking to the Lord to bless us together. I want to read with you now tonight from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, commencing to read at verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and commencing to read at verse 17. It's wonderful to have the Bible, the Word of God, and to read it and meditate on it, and then to obey it. So here we are in 1 Corinthians, in the New Testament, chapter 1 and verse 17. The Apostle Paul has written to the church at Corinth, and this is what he says. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We shall conclude there at verse 25, and may the Lord bless his word to our hearts. Now please join me for a moment of prayer as we come to the message this evening. Lord, we thank and praise Thee this evening for the focus of the Apostle Paul, that as he preached that it would not be in the wisdom of men or of words, but that it would be in the power and demonstration of the Spirit of God. And Lord, we cannot preach without words, but we realize that they themselves are very frail vessels, Lord, to communicate such stupendous truth. And so we pray this evening, Lord, that whatever words can't do, the Holy Spirit will do. And we pray this evening, Father, that thy power and presence will be so real and so personal that there will be people who will be wonderfully saved by the mighty power, not of words only, but of the ministry of the Spirit and the Word of God. And so I pray this evening, Lord, that people's eyes and gaze and focus 
will be beyond a human vessel and that they will see Jesus. There were men long ago, Lord, in the gospel story who came and said, Sirs, we would see Jesus. And so we pray, take the veil away and touch our hearts today. We would see Jesus. Lord Jesus, be in the midst tonight and keep us sheltered beneath thy precious panoply, the precious blood of Jesus. We pray in the Savior's name and for thy glory. Amen. This message has been on my heart for quite a little while in preparing for this mission. This is the first night of the evangelistic mission, part of our week. And the very first message tonight has to be the primary message of the New Testament, the message of the cross work of Jesus. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, I like to get my congregation to the cross by the shortest route. And it's always good to bring people to the cross quickly by the shortest route. Because whatever else we preach, it always like the spokes of a bicycle wheel, always goes back in from the circumference to the center and the central focus of the preaching of the Word of God is the message of the cross work of Jesus Christ. Oh, the cross, my dear people tonight, not the wood, not the tea that we see on many ornaments or even outside uh, churches or buildings or whatever, but the cross work, what happened on Calvary's cross outside Jerusalem's walls because that is the focal point of history. Old Testament history looked forward to it. We look backward to it tonight. And all of heaven venerates the cross work of Jesus because he who hung and bled there is none other than the sacrificial lamb the spotless Lamb, the Lamb of God. And dear friends tonight, the Lamb who is no longer on a cross, no longer in a tomb, but now at God's right hand, the Lamb is all the glory. Amen? All the glory of Emmanuel's land. The city needs no light because the Lamb is the light thereof. In the book of the Revelation, 29 times we read about the Lamb. Right through the New Testament, we read about the Lamb. John the Baptist pointed to the Lamb. And when we read these words, Behold the Lamb, we're looking at the Lord Jesus. When Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, it was the sacrificial lamb, the Passover lamb, that had the focus of attention and its blood on the lintel and on the doorpost. And the message that attended it was this, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And how wonderful that is. My dear friends, that's a message that has no terminus because the blood has precious been. Tis precious now to me, and still in heaven my theme shall be the precious, precious blood. And so the cross, 
There's a focus of my attention for you this evening. Samuel Chadwick, a wonderful man of God, said, the death of Jesus Christ is the first fact of the Christian gospel and its interpretation is the first work of apostolic preaching. It takes a primary place in the gospel, the Christian gospel, and it takes and it should take a primary place in true biblical preaching. And so we have in that statement a historic fact. But not only have we an historic fact in that it actually happened and there was a special significant day to which Old Testament history moved forward and the moment came when Jesus said, My hour is come. And what was that hour? The hour when he would be taken by wicked men and by wicked hands and nailed to a cross. But you know, there's another side to the story because it wasn't just wicked men who nailed him there. It was in the eternal counsel of God that his only begotten Son, the eternal Lamb, should go to the cross by the predeterminate counsel of God to be what? To be a ransom, a sacrifice, a substitute, a redeemer. And tonight all we have and all we are, we depend and cast ourselves wholly on Jesus who gave himself for us as a sacrifice and a salvation. And tonight if you're here, you're in a really good place tonight. You are where you can be met by Jesus. You are where you can come to the cross. You are where you can be saved by the power of the blood of Jesus. And that has a tremendous, wonderful, glorious, personal application. I see you as a congregation. He sees you as an individual. Wherever you may be, anywhere down my right-hand side, anywhere on my left-hand side, wherever you may be, he has his eye on you tonight. And I want you to know something more. You are not here by accident tonight. This is not a happen-chance event. This is God's wonderful, merciful working in your life to bring you and others like you, not just tonight, but in the morrow night, on the next night, in the next night. And we pray that as night succeeds night, that the drawing power of Jesus will be on your hearts. You know the Lord Jesus speaks about his drawing power. I can't bring you. I can't force you. But he says, I, even I, if I be lifted up from the earth. And what was Calvary? It was the lifting up of the Savior. I, even I, said Jesus, if I be lifted up, I will draw, I will draw all men unto me. And friends tonight, not only all over the world, but all age groups, all colors of skin, Calvary is, at, we are on level ground, friends, at the cross. We are all on level ground at the cross. Lost, sinful, dying, and headed for hell. 
but down from the reaches of glory, he came and he went to that middle cross so that you and I who are down in the bottom can be lifted to the top by the mighty power of Jesus' name. Well, my dear people, what is my message tonight? You know, years ago, we had a very wonderful friend. We, his dear wife just passed away a few weeks ago, but his, he was well known in the province here, uh, Dr. T.B.F. Thompson. Well, Dr. Thompson, we saw him just a little while before he died. Yvonne and I went to see him one day to visit him. And he said, you know, Eric, I've got a little outline. And someone gave it to me years ago, and I would like to give it to you because maybe you could do something with it. Well, he gave me a treasure in three simple sentences. He said, the message of the cross is unique in its content, it is supernatural in its power, and it is personal in its application. Now, that could just be enough to stop and say amen, but I need to say a little more. It is unique in its content. There is no message like the message of the cross. There is no kingdom in the world that has ever been extended by the telling of a story, much less the story of a cross, which is a symbol of defeat and weakness and criminality. But Jesus took that which was a symbol of weakness and brutality and shame and elevated it to a message and a work of majestic, marvelous power. He took the cross and transformed it from a torture instrument into a message for the whole wide world. Hallelujah. And over the years, God has given to us the opportunity to travel a little bit and preach in some other countries. And I've always found the message of the cross, whether it comes directly through preaching in English or it comes through translation, whatever the translator's translation may be, it will always do its unique work. And how is the message of the cross unique? Well, the message of the cross is unique because Jesus was willing to go to the cross. Do you know something? Not all the power of Rome and its mighty empire, not all the powers of a congregation or a crowd of people shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Not all the cunning of Caiaphas and Judas and Pontius Pilate and whoever else is involved could have put him on that cross. Not all those. Not even legions of demon powers, if they had been released upon him, could have nailed him to the cross. He was nailed to the cross because he was willing. He was willing to be nailed to the cross. And that's marvelous. Pilate looked at him and he said, Don't you know, he said, that I have power to crucify you, power to kill you, to slay you, power to, uh, our power to release you? And Jesus looked at him and he said, Thou hast no power at all against me unless it were given thee from above. I have power. This is the next bit. This is the unique and wonderful 
and supernatural part of it. I have power to lay down my life and to take it again. And to take it again. And we're here tonight and the blood-washed church is all around the world tonight because he laid down his life willingly. We had a great old friend and she was a wonderful singer as well. Mrs. Seth Sykes. Seth Sykes and his wife were great Scottish evangelists. And uh, they wrote that wonderful chorus, Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me thy great salvation so rich and free. But you know, she has another beautiful song. We brought her to her church in Bangor in the 1970s. We put the piano up on the platform and the pulpit. She came up and she began to play and she began to sing all the way to Calvary. He went for me. He went for me. He went for me. All the way to Calvary. He went for me. He died to set me free. He was willing to go to the cross. Not only was that significant in its uniqueness, he was crucified because it was necessary. My dear people, there was no other way a God of love could find to reconcile a world of lost mankind. It took the death of his own son upon a tree. There was no other way but Calvary. Corinth had its philosophies and its philosophers. The ancient Roman world had its great generals. It had its wonderful temples and its marvelous cities and the great city of Rome. But going back into antiquity, there were the great major religions of the world, all emanating from the Tower of Babel down through the centuries. None of them had the power to release men from the deepest bondage of the human heart, the bondage to sin. That enormous entity, that dominating tyrant, that corrupting influence, that awful ensnaring, binding, darkening, bludgeoning power that wrecks and dooms and damns immortal souls. But friends, let me tell you something. When Jesus took on sin, he took it on not to lose. He took it on to win. And where sin abounded. Amen? You know the rest of the verse? Yes, you do. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And what matchless grace. Ye know the grace of God, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. You know something? In the original, the words are much stronger than they are in our English version. He who was exceedingly rich became extremely poor. The very uttermost of Paul's apartness. 
He who was exceedingly rich became extremely poor, that I, through his extreme poverty, might be made exceedingly rich. <laughs> George Baskin in Castle Derg used to say, shakes hands with a millionaire. I'm a real millionaire. I've plenty up there. I'm going to be poor no more. I've riches untold, something better than gold. In Jesus I keep my store. I've everlasting life, everlasting joy, everlasting fellowship that nothing can destroy. I've peace in Him through trusting. My days are always bright, for Jesus is my all in all. That's a good chorus, isn't it? You maybe don't know that chorus. We'll have to teach you that one, Bertie. See if we get along with that. Be a great chorus to learn. Shake hands with a millionaire. You shake hands tonight with me on the way out. I'm a millionaire. And dear friends tonight, I'm a millionaire in Jesus. I am rich in Him. Poor in myself. Rich in Him. But why was it necessary? Because of the dominating control that sin has on the human heart. Only the mighty power of the cross can break the power of sin. And he does. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. You say, oh, Pastor Eric, I'm too, I'm too, I'm too bad to be saved. Years ago, when I was making an invitation one night in a meeting, a lady spoke up from the congregation. She says, sir, I want to come, but I'm too bad. It was like a bolt in the meeting. She just spoke out, like just, just like I'm saying. I said, ma'am, you're the very kind of person Jesus came to save. I came not to call the righteous, he said. I came to call sinners to repentance. You say, I'm a sinner. You're a candidate for the cross work of Jesus. It's unique in its content. It is supernatural in its power. I think I've kind of fed that into the message already this evening, but it has to be, my dear people, it has to be supernatural if it is going to conquer the power of sin in your life. It has to be if it is going to blot out the past of your life. What a record some people have in their lives. What a dark bondage. What an awful blighted life history some people have. They have groveled at the lowest level. But my dear people, there is no depth to which a human heart or life can sink that the power of the cross cannot go deeper. For where sin abounded, grace doth much more abound. Though vile as I could be, in love he rescued me. Where sin abounded, grace aboundeth more. Seneca the philosopher who wrote Nero's official speeches and looked after his main affairs, Seneca said, All my life long I have been seeking to climb out of the pit of my besetting sins. Have you got besetting sins tonight? Say, oh, Briar, there's, I've got a filthy tongue. I can't stop cursing. I used to be like that. 
I couldn't stop it. Even though I was saved at 16 and a half, but I'd cultivated a culture and an accent. Uh, I still have an accent, but I cultivated a vocabulary that my parents didn't hear me say when I was home. But the night that Jesus saved me, he cleaned me up in the inside, and my tongue became a different tongue. I got new words, and I lost a lot of old words. Amen. Say, oh, Eric, I can't break that power of nicotine. I want to tell you, Jesus can break the power of nicotine in any person's life. And the power of strong drink and the power of drug addiction. He sets the addict free. Supernatural in its power. We were attending a a wedding a few years ago. There was a bridal group at the front and the pastor who was doing the wedding in the northeast of Scotland. I think there were seven in the bridal group and the pastor probably the eighth, but some number like that. And they were all reclaimed heroin addicts, former heroin addicts. The beautiful bride standing there, a beautiful picture of perfect Bridehood on that day, her dad said, I never thought I would see the day when my daughter would stand before a a wedding, as a bride at a wedding. He said, I thought I would carry her out in a coffin. She was right down at the bottom in drug addiction. It was really rife in Fraserburgh District back in those days, 20 years or maybe a little less ago. Still is a very big issue there, up in the fishing villages and up in that area. But friends, what God has done, He can do for anyone. It is no secret what God can do. And here tonight, and tomorrow night, and the next night, don't despair. You say, well, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. I'm clean. I haven't done those things. You're as lost as the ones that I've been speaking about. You're as needing salvation as those who are bound by many besetting sins. But back to this word of Seneca. He said, I cannot climb out of the pit of my besetting sins, and I can't do it, and I never will, unless a hand is let down to draw me up. My people tonight, That hand has been let down. Amen. That hand has been let down. It was David Livingstone, born in Scotland, converted, became a great missionary explorer in Africa, drawn on by the smoke of a thousand unreached villages was the story of his life, found kneeling on his knees, dead, and already gone home to be with the Lord, and a little light burning by the side. And he said, I felt the downreach of the divine. I like that. I felt the downreach of the divine. There's a song that says, He reached down to me. He reached way down to me. I was lost and in sin. No hope within when he reached down to me. And if tonight you're thinking, I will never be saved. I've tried it. I I just can't seem to break through. God has brought you here tonight by divine appointment. 
Or tonight you're young and you're saying, you know, Eric, I've got years to, to think about this. I, I think I'll get saved later on. Well, do you know something? I've no regrets that I took the step when I took it. I've no regrets that when God was drawing me as a young man that I took my stand and stepped out for Jesus because it wasn't just the salvation of my soul. It was the salvation of my life. (laughs) Hallelujah. And my life is His tonight. And if it hadn't been for that, I wouldn't be here tonight. I'd be somewhere else. Maybe not even on earth at all. But tonight I am where I am because of the grace of God and the work of the cross in its supernatural power in my life. And you can have the same wonderful, saving, keeping, sanctifying, edifying, expanding, ever-increasing life in Jesus. And when we were thinking about it just before I came up, we were singing that wonderful hymn, O Mourner in Zion. What was the promise? Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And do you know something? He's filling me, and I'm not yet full. Because the capacity has room for expansion. And God is bigger than my capacity. And his spoon is bigger than my mouth. Well, my friends, it's got to be some size of spoon. (laughs) It is. His supply is inexhaustible. So, the message of the cross is unique in its content. It is supernatural in its power but it is also personal in its application. It has to come to that in the meeting. When I was sitting in the service where I was converted, there was a large crowd, as I recall, although it's that long ago, but it seemed as if there was no one else there but me. It seemed as if the speaker was speaking to me. And before I had arrived that evening, I had already crossed the line in my mind, if not in my heart, because I said, Lord, if you spare me till tonight, I will be saved. I had made up my mind that I wasn't coming home that night until I got right with God. Isn't that wonderful when somebody comes to a meeting and to a service, and it has happened here over weeks They come in already set to step out. And they're saying, wish the man would make the invitation. Wish he would get to the point where he would invite us to come. I'm ready to come. I want to come. That's wonderful. And whenever the apostle was writing to the churches in Galatia, he said, he loved me. And he gave himself for me. And if you were the only person in the world who needed salvation, the Lord Jesus would have gone through all that he went through to bring you to himself. He loves you that much. I am fascinated by the wonderful reality that he loves the world. God so loved the world. I'm fascinated by the fact that he loved the church and gave himself for it. But I am completely overwhelmed by the fact that he loved me and gave himself for me. 
whatever your name is, he gave himself for you. You're a man tonight, young man perhaps, lady tonight, young lady tonight, boy or a girl perhaps. He loved you. And he loves you now. And he's brought you here this evening to bring you from where you are to the foot of the cross. And all around the world, people hearing this message have been drawn to the cross, which God has blessed with healing gifts for souls distressed to find in Jesus life and rest, Christ crucified, I come. When Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer, was reading on the 21st of May, 1738, one morning, he read these words in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, and he came to that phrase, he loved me and gave himself for me. And he was longing to know the peace of God. He was longing to be saved. And he sighed and cried out from his heart, Oh, that I could say that that me was me. Oh, that I could say that that me was me. And in that cry, in that moment, the Holy Spirit, came to his heart and gave him the assurance of sins forgiven and peace with God and a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, my dear people, me, that me, was me. And in that meeting, that Saturday night, that me became me. And I came, and not many knew about it. It didn't seem significant that night, but how significant it has become in 59 years later that we are here, that you are here, that I am here, that our paths have crossed in the providence of God to bring you to the very same cross that I came to as a young man and found salvation in the name of Jesus. The cross is unique in its content. There is no message like the message of the cross. No kingdom has been extended by the telling of a story. No other religion in the world has a focal point in the message of a cross. But Christianity has. Because to us who believe, it is the power of God. Get your congregation to the cross by the shortest route. Have you been to the cross? Would you like to be at the cross tonight? So many you say, yes, I've come to the cross. I've been to Calvary. I know I am his. 
Or you're saying like some say to me and I say to some man, what about it? Have you settled it yet? Remember that day I talked to you in the yard years ago? Yes, I remember. What about it? Have you settled it yet? No, not yet. What about now? But now. This is your night. We're sitting bang on nine o'clock. Tuesday night, the 12th of October, nine o'clock, God's moment for you to come to the cross. Will you come? I invite you to him, to the cross of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, tonight we thank you so very much this evening that the precious blood of Jesus has never lost its power. The message of the cross has ever been a resplendent message. And tonight, Lord, what was a dark Calvary for you has become a blessed Calvary for so many of us. And tonight, Lord, the cross has become a radiant cross to us. Yes, Lord, we thank you this evening. In the cross of Christ I glory, towering over the wrecks of time, all the light of sacred story gathers round its head sublime. And we pray this evening, Lord, that you will find this week, that you will find people at the foot of the old rugged cross, like that old hymn says, at the foot of the cross, there's an answer for all of your loss. Hear us, Lord, in the closing hymn, and we pray that it may be sung from genuine, responding hearts. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.